Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This podcast is brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Native Grape Odyssey is an educational project financed by the European Union to promote European wine in Canada, Japan, and Russia. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Ward. And my guest today is Madeleine Puckett, or Puckett, wine communicator and creator of Wine Folly, winefolly.com. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. What is Wine Folly and how did you create it and why? Wine Folly is really a website where people learn about wine. It is a popular website. We get a lot of traffic, mainly because we have excellent wine guides, information maps, infographics, you name it, (laughs) under the topic of wine to help people who are basically just getting into wine or maybe trying to become a sommelier to learn more and to get the right answers. Why did you start Wine Folly? Uh, Back in 2011 when we were, I guess when we created the project. Myself and my uh, now husband, uh, Justin Hammock, was a co-founder of the business. Yeah. So why did you start it? Sorry? We started it because back then I was working as a sommelier in the restaurants and it was very difficult. I noticed sort of a, a difference between my level of knowledge and the level of knowledge of the customers I was serving. We had a communication barrier. We, it was very difficult for me to help people find wines that they liked because they couldn't even describe what they liked about wine. So I took this back to my boyfriend then, now husband, and I was like, how do I, maybe I could do something about this online. Maybe I could make a website just to get basic people's knowledge up so that they can tell people what they like. Like I like low tannin wines. Tannin was this weird thing. Like most people back then thought tannin would give you a headache. So that's why we created Wine Folly. And, uh, and it's been very helpful. So just, we'll just wind back a little bit. I'm going to ask you about infographics in a minute. Let's wind back even further. So sure. do you come from a family that drank wine or had anybody working in the wine industry? How did you, and if not, how did you get into wine? Well, my dad liked to drink wine and he was more of just a regular wine drinker who is curious. And he was an, maybe an early adopter on the internet back when shopping on the internet was a rare thing to do. He was someone who purchased things on the internet and he bought me a wine club when I turned 21. A wine club yeah. subscription. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I used to get two wines a month um, and I was going to arts school at the time. I was studying design and music technology and those two bottles came in and they were like the most special things I would consume in the entire month. So I I grew to appreciate wine through that gift and through my passion of, you know, hanging out with my dad. Okay, so where does your artistic side come from? You talk about infographics and things like that. Where does that come from? Were you, you is it you come from an artistic family? Or is it just you? Or? Well, my mom was an artist. She was an oil painter, and she was also she's a very creative person, but also very smart. She has an engineering degree, and she used to be a pilot, and she was a flight instructor. So. Through the combination, I think, of like my dad's engineering genes and my mom's sort of art creative, I got sort of this funny mesh of like somebody who likes to make pretty pictures and is passionate about art, but then really likes data. And so when DataViz started to become a thing, it was really around 2009, 2010 that it started to really sort of pop up everywhere. I thought the obvious answer was to use that type of thing to communicate wine. Do you have any brothers and sisters? 
I do. I have one sister and a half brother. So mm-hmm. are they arty? Uh, my sister's pretty arty, and my my half brother's definitely got a bent for something, but he hasn't quite figured it out yet. Okay, he's got time. Right? Yeah, he's got a little time. <laughs> okay, so you had the idea. You've been inspired by this uh, wine club membership, and you you feel that there's a, a gap in the market. What's the next step? Well, for me, it was education and to be actually be in the wine trade. And in 2008, I had the craziest opportunity. I lost my job <laughs> during the market crash, and I started working for Under the Table Cash at a wine bar, polishing glasses and pouring wines on slow days and things like that. And that was really my opportunity to jump into the wine business and it got me to get my certified sommelier which I did in uh, 2010. Did you get that very quickly? Yeah I did I really blasted through it. I mean, you were you were always a good student at school. When I wanted to be. <laughs> what do you mean when you want, when you wanted to be? You bit of a rebel then. I think so. Yeah, I kind of like to make the my own way of things. So is that your artistic? I bent, think bent, it the... could be. I could be that, or it could be because I didn't like the. I like I didn't like to follow the rules. I didn't. I thought the rules were up to question always. And when I looked at the wine business, I saw a lot of rules that maybe could be interpreted differently. Or we could see different things. So he got very interested in getting the information about wine. Right. So if I go onto your website, Mm -hmm. winefolly.com, I've heard of a particular wine. Let's say, I don't know, Chianti Classico or Brunello, whatever it is. Yeah. And I've Googled it. Oh, wine folly. What is it? I go on there and I'm thinking about buying this wine. How is your site going to help me? It's going to give you the contextual information that relates to the wine that you're interested in. A lot of people, Chianti Classico, for example, or Barolo, we heard from someone somewhere that it's important and we should like it. And we want to do more research because we want to know what to buy based on our taste. So if you're looking at Chianti Classico and you look on the Classico page on the site, you're going to find out about what Chianti is, what the grape variety is, how it it tastes fundamentally as a as a wine and then what the different styles are that are predominant in the region and how you might find them because the wine world is this hundreds of thousands of labels are launched every year in just in America alone um, so finding the right bottle and choosing it the right bottle seems very intimidating you know there's so much choice so we are hoping to with a little bit of education eliminate people's choices to closer to what they're looking for for in terms of their palate. And so there's a lot of education that goes into what is your palate? And we have guides and things like that, how to taste wine, how to identify flavors. And then the rest of the education goes to, well, what do I want to drink? And what should I drink? Okay, so I go on that and I'm Googling or whatever, I I, I find you. I mean, I want to find out what my palate is like. So what am I going to see on the page for that particular bit? Or is it questions? You know, do you like fish? What is it it going to be? Well, this is going to be open to interpretation. I think we can do a lot to improve this sort of findability aspect on the site. But it might say, send you to a guide or something to identify, hey, what is... What is my type of wine? What should I be drinking? So there's sort of an 80-20 with wine. Like most people like the 80%, but then there's 20% of us that have the contrarian palate and we have a little bit of different tastes than everyone else. And most of us know who we are and where we fit, but some of us don't and we need to learn how to figure that out. So I think we have a lot of guides on that, but I will say I want to do so much more to the site to make it more findable and easily attainable for people to sort of discover 
discover, who might not know anything about wine, um, what they're looking for. Okay, so let's go into the infographic side of things mm -hmm. in terms of what the site actually looks like. So just give me an example of a typical, a, t a helpful page that, or that you know from click-throughs that this is really, obviously people follow it and, uh, and look at this page a lot. What am I going to be shown and how will that help me? One of our popular pages is on, well, uh, let's just say Sangiovese, the Sangiovese page has sort of a flavor profile of the Sangiovese grape. So is that in words? It's, it's in visual graphics, so if you are trying to understand how it tastes, it'll show you flavors. It'll actually show you pictures of the flavors. And then there are infographics on how long it ages using information, show you what type of glass to serve it in with an actual infographic of that glass and that sort of a thing. And then we have a distribution chart on where it grows in the world. I think this is really useful for us who people we know, we know of a great growing in one place and we don't realize it also grows elsewhere so we're looking at that grape in another place and that really opens up your mind to like wow Sangiovese grows in California really crazy I thought it was only an Italian grape and so then you might try a Californian Sangiovese or be compare the two so my idea is to use infographics more as a discovery then just as an informational graphic is to show to opportunities. In, yeah, to show opportunities that weren't there. So when we started making wine maps, one of the things I did was to show the grapes, the, just to list the grapes uh, on the region, like what grows there, like the major grapes. And nobody had done that before. They would name the region and they would show you the names of the cities and the towns and the rivers even and the mountains, but they wouldn't tell you what grew there. And it seemed so obvious. Why don't you just tell me what grapes grow there? <laughs> so that was one of the things that we did that's been shockingly successful. So uh, just say we would say, or Sangiovese, so obviously grows in Italy and yeah. various other countries. I mean, you've got data on either acres or hectares or however you do it. Yeah. Um, and, but I mean, how often do you keep that updated? Obviously, because, you know, vineyards get grubbed up and fashions change. So you may say that the Sangiovese in Argentina is, was X thousand hectares and right. now it's dropped. How do you how, how, how do you maintain that? So I found a few data sources that were very good when I was getting started, um, and they're university-based, and they I was extremely excited about them, but I've communicated with the people who've made these databases, and they're basically not keeping them up. So there's, like, nothing out there that actually tells us what grows in places in the world. There's, there's no source for that. So I've started merger with another business who has a data model for managing this information and I'm hoping to keep it updated on our website actually from the, for the future because there really is nothing like that in the world. Every every wine commission has their in incentivized to, to communicate their wine commission and no one is incentivized to communicate the world of wine and even other wine rating and wine informational resources are incentivized by different reasons. For example, uh, Wine Spectator is incentivized to create ratings and to rate wines. And that's very useful when you know what you want and you want to find a good wine. But it, it doesn't help people learn about wine. So the fact of the matter that our website is powered by, through this discovery, learning about wine, it incentivizes us to have the best wine information. So I'm hoping that the future will hold more accurate wine information in the world.
the world with I mean, what you we're can, working on. I mean, you can get wine down I mean, if you want to say find out how many hectares or acres are in, let's say, Shabli. I mean, if you go on, I don't know, Shabli.com or the Shabli producers, the actual region itself, yeah, which is run um, by the Shabli, yeah, sure, and they are surely going to know how many hectares they have. They in will, Shabli. maybe even down to the micrometer, right? Yeah. But where you're saying that some areas don't have accurate statistics, is that what you're yeah. saying? So yeah. Like where though? Well, well, let's pick on Sangiovese again. Mm-hmm. I would say that Italian wine data, having looked at the world's wine data personally and tried to source it myself, um, Italy has some of the worst data in the world. Um, it's very inaccurate and it's not up to date and it's very difficult um, to collect that information and to disseminate that information. Working with the commissions might be a really good way to get that started. So when you say, when you say the commissions, you mean what do you mean by that? The commissions? Well, so there's there are many layers of commissions, wine commissions, but they're essentially marketing commissions that are in, that are either producer based or they are regional based. So like the DOCG of Chianti Classico has a, a consortio that manages that DOCG and promotes that DOCG to the world. So they get marketing funds from the producers and from the EU to market the name of Chianti Classico around the world. Some of that marketing money could be spent on managing, having better data and communicating wine through data. And I'm, and I believe that you know with the future as you know the kids these days, data is very very important to help tell the story and attract and authentic way. And so I think that some of this marketing money will be spent on better data and data management. And I believe that, you know, I might not be the best person for it, but I, fi- I can find the right people to do th- to help me with this project to make it work. So you're saying that data in France or Germany or Austria is better than Italy. I mean, do you, do you trust the data that you find? I don't know, we'll go back to Chablis or Champagne or Bordeaux. Sure. So you think they're accurate? Well, all data is inaccurate. There's all level of plus or minus, right? When you're actually looking at data, there's always messy data. But your hope is that it's mostly accurate most of the time. And that's you can do a lot um, with the, the closer you are to accurate, the more accurate stuff you can do with that data. If I can get the the acreage data into about under 10,000 hectares of accuracy and closeness, I can do a lot of really cool things with that information. Um, so if I can at least get down to that level, I'm 5,000 would be even better. Um, but yeah, if I can get down to that level, I could do quite a bit. What about the US? When I mean, I've worked in the US and mm-hmm. you know, you have, for example, very accurate reports of what people are spraying just you can go to the county agricultural commissioner's yeah. office and um, you can get that data what they sprayed how much and when because yeah. they have to by law do that and if they don't do that they get into serious trouble so you know as an organic fan it's it's great it's a fantastic resource and they do also you know for fiscal reasons as well really effectively know what what is in every field if it's sunflowers or if it's um wine grapes for example because obviously wine uh, wine grapes make wine which is an alcoholic beverage yeah which is uh, you know controlled at state um, and national level so there i think you would say that america does have pretty good data obviously there's going to be the old mistake but they are pretty clear on the need for the data and it's a legal requirement for people to keep up their records yeah and france is the same thing and actually in italy also it is the same thing so what you're saying is that maybe even though it is a legal requirement in italy as far as you're concerned the numbers don't stack up it's just difficult to collect this information in in italy over the other countries and it is that is that not to do with language though i mean yeah there's certainly probably a language barrier issue and knowing how the government structures are set up and where that information exists um 
as part of it. Um, I know that a lot of people have tried to crack this code with Italy, and it, it's been difficult for a lot of people. Is there anywhere else in the world where you think it's a bit tricky? I mean, like, I mean certainly like Argentina, or what about I mean Australia or New Zealand? Or um, I would say that the best are probably Austria and Australia. <laughs> They're mm. both the Aussies and Austria, Austrias. Mm-hmm. I mean, Austria, Australia for organic statistics is completely and utterly useless. Oh the worst, yeah, it's probably the worst country in the world. I hope anybody. But they're very good at managing their their data in terms of how much is being made. And yeah, they're how much tonnages, is, yeah. yeah, they definitely have their production figures down. Organic is another interesting layer because there's different organic certifying bodies, and the goal would be to get hey at least get what's out there and identify what specifically it is. Because I know organic wines in America, USDA organics are different than EU organics by a long shot. So identifying what those are and then communicating that information to consumers and then labeling wines appropriately as they are organic or made with organic grapes or EU organic is going to be very, very important. And there's nothing out there right now. And I I mean, the potential to just show people what's out there. I mean, there are there are statistics on organics. I mean, if you, you know, you mentioned Germany and Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, Germany's very good at yeah, their statistics on Austria is very good. France organics. is very good. You could argue maybe Portugal isn't quite so good or Spain isn't quite so good I don't get too bogged down in the stats but it's just trying to be clear on well the problem is is there's a lot of stats on Germany and France and whatnot but they're not all in one place and it's not easy to see right so that's what I'm trying to change okay so all right that's so but it's a resource for numbers there's the infographics yeah what have we missed well (laughs) well, I have a YouTube channel where we do education there's a Instagram where there's fun we give away a lot of our infographics on there so it's fun to use and just to follow okay so quick question so obviously my i'm not a web expert like you are so obviously you've got your brand and your website Mm -hmm. so why would you share i don't know stuff on instagram which i probably they have will have some kind of copyright or they can actually use it they're allowed to use it because you've actually quotes given it to them why would you share that with facebook or whoever why don't you just keep it in your little um, ecosystem well, you know, the thing that I've learned is the more you give away, the it builds an amazing amount of of brand value and rapport and the you can build more with that so than awareness you can. As well, yeah. You you can build more with that than you can by not giving it away. Mm-hmm. And the policy of openness has gotten us farther in the past 7 years than policy of closedness. Mm-hmm. And I think that information people want information to be be free and we can all work harder at being more open with this information giving and it's certainly difficult to make a business value proposition on free information because it's free information and yeah. and it's very expensive to build and to maintain but the people who do that will win in the long term so how do you monetize your site though if i do if i log on or i go on online i go to wine folly do i have to pay to get in no is there, is there anything that i would have to pay for no you can essentially get everything for free mm-hmm. you know most of the, the entire contents of our book will essentially are essentially online if you can navigate it's a little harder to navigate the, sure. you know the book is a very nice concise version of the free content that we give away do you update that book regularly then so the book was first printed in 2015 and mm-hmm. then we relaunched a second edition in 2018 mm-hmm. i would like to get to the rate of printing a new version every year i think mm-hmm. that would be very useful because why 
information is constantly changing. How big is the book then? Currently, it's uh, 330 pages. So, okay, does that so that covers the whole world? With, with... It doesn't. It, no? It's greatly It's very concise. It's missing many, many countries that mm-hmm. could and should be in there mm-hmm. and deserve to be in there. So... Is Italy one of those missing countries? No, no, definitely okay. not. It's definitely included. So, you're, so that book, if I buy it, I'm, I'm getting information the, on uh, the size top, of regions, great varieties. Those you're getting the top 20 wine regions of the world, mm-hmm. p- pretty much. Um, the top 100 grapes and wines of the world. Mm-hmm. And then an introductory section that talks about what wine is and how to taste and communicate and store and serve and do things with wine so that you feel confident looking for what you like. So what you're saying is you've sort of synthesized or eliminated, I should say, all the bits about wine that you really don't need to need need sort of, you know, micro regions in the far south of Argentina whose wines never, ever, you're you're never, ever going to see. You're not trying to do like an ainly retentive huge book with every last vineyard. You're just saying, you know what, these are the places that you think are relevant. Yeah, I would like to have the site be the anal retentive version of the book mm-hmm. and then the book be the cliff's notes of the anal retentive okay. website so cliff notes are like um study notes aren't they yeah America- cliff notes okay. sorry it's a I guess it's american thing it, it was a way that people used to cheat to like try to get ahead in plays and the and reading plays or reading books and stuff like that so yeah the like the notes, short the, the, the synopsis would, like, yeah tell you what you're supposed to know about something without actually having to learn it and work through it unfortunately most of us need to start somewhere and so the initial work into wine is this cliff notes edition where you have sort of a abbreviated here's the biggest most important things you should know about wine to feel confident Mm -hmm. and then use the website and the internet and your own sense of imagination to find the rest because you will find a rabbit hole and you will go down it Mm -hmm. if you're passionate about wine and I think that's one of the things that the books and, and our content does quite well is open people up for discovery and not make them feel intimidated getting into wine. Do you do any public events? Do you mean like when you show up in your limo and uh, <laughs> you know your fans are just people are fainting outside and the police are there and everything and you get into the venue and it's just like this huge auditorium of people just going crazy. You know, I all waving little infographic <laughs> flags for you and you know shouting your name. I think that I think the people in the wine trade who know me know me because I have a personality, even though the work I do is you know it's. It's just educational material, essentially, but it's got a personality, and I think they like that, and they like to support what I'm doing. So the people who do show up to any limo-drawn event uh, are usually really cool people. I've met amazing people in the wine business who either work in the wine business or they're just getting into wine, and I, I honestly learn a lot from these people. It makes me smile. All right, okay, so tomorrow Wine Fodder gets shut down because wine is banned. Okay. Right. The governments worldwide ban ban wine. But you know that you've got, I'm not saying a formula, but you've found a sort of a matrix for a market for people that are com- confused about a very popular thing and you have a way of helping them. Are there any subjects that you think you could sort of repeat wine folly for? Gardening or... Um, well, weed's uh, not... If, if wine gets banned, then weed won't be banned for sure. So you right. could do weed, you mean like marijuana? Yeah, um, well, it's legal in Seattle, so sure. I could say this. Not in Italy, um, but... No, but I just like I just ironingboard.com yeah. or shoelacetying.com. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know what I mean? The one thing that I like about wine that makes it special than most other topics is because there's more than just the marketing layer and the made-up brand element to it. 
it's not just a recipe. There is element that is not controlled by man, that in fact man struggles to control, and that's the terroir, it's the earth, it's the fact that it's a product coming out of the ground. And that's what makes wine such a complex and interesting topic to explore. Um, so that's that's maybe the thing that makes me like wine, is that it's hard, it's difficult, and it's real. It, if I was to choose another topic, I would try to find something also hard, difficult, and real, and not totally man-made. Like, if I had a sneaker folly, I'd probably shoot myself. Sneaker, oh, sneaker, <laughs> uh, or um, sports shoes, or, or plimpsons. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it would have to be something that's... Um, I mean, you're not going to do marijuana um, folly.com, are you? Did we buy weed folly? I don't know. We might have bought cam. We might have cannabisfolly.com. We might have bought it right when the law changed in Seattle just for fun. So again, you'd be looking for planting <laughs> statistics and varietal differences. And yeah, and they have amazing data. They release a lot of really amazing data. So even the data. stoners have really amazing data. Yeah, they, they have better data than the wine people. The right. stoners are very into wine, data. Wine industry, there's a, a message in there somewhere. <laughs> Not sure what we're trying to say. I don't know what I'm trying to say either. Right, on that note, I'm going to say thanks to my guest name, Madeline Puckett or Puckett. Yeah, thanks for having From me. From winefolly.com. She's going to leave the building. Uh, we've got the red carpet out there. There's a huge amount of paparazzi. We just heard news. <laughs> She's about to negotiate a massive deal uh, at weedfolly.com uh, weed. oh, no, or com. So you won't hear from her for a little while. She'll be with her legal team for several <laughs> several, several week, months. But she'll, months. <laughs> she'll get through it and we'll, we'll uh, bring the latest update as soon as we've got it. Madeline, it's been a real pleasure to uh, talk to you. Sorry about the grilling, about the data and all the rest of it. Um, but that's a pretty key thing and uh, I look forward to your next uh, venture thank you and I mean you know you, you, you run for the White House if you run for the White House you got to come back on the podcast okay we'll okay. be we can be your first interview alright we'll shake hands on that right. deal there you go nice <laughs> White to meet House you. <laughs> take it easy okay super thank you this podcast has been brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey discovering the true essence of high quality wine from Europe Find out more on nativegrapeodyssey.eu. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.